Welcome to Lawyers Coach. My name is Claire Rayson and each episode will feature myself or Oliver Hansard, both of us coaches and former lawyers, trying to find out what makes lawyers tick. We'll be hearing from various guests and experts and then at the end of each episode we will both be reflecting on what they said. Geraldine Attlee is Head of Legal and Business Affairs at BBC Films. In this interview with Oliver, she talks about her journey to the BBC, why she had too much personality to stay in private practice, why she was one of the first in her industry to seek work-life balance, and to kick off with, why she became a lawyer. Um, I, I had a father who was very entrepreneurial, which was inspiring, but also slightly scary. Uh, there were too many occasions when he came home announcing that he'd remortgaged the house or whatever. So I, I think more than more than anything, I just wanted security. I knew I wanted a profession. I wanted something dependable and reliable and, you know, a, a qualification that would enable me just to do a regular job. I, I didn't want to, to run my own business in the way that he'd done. Um, I also knew that I wanted a family. I think literally from the age of puberty, I, I knew I wanted kids. So I, I figured that having a profession would allow me that sort of flexibility. And ultimately, any any sort of test that I ever took, you know, these sort of psychometric tests, every, every time I went into one hoping that it would tell me I'd be a great florist or ballet dancer, it always come back saying, oh, you'd be a really good lawyer. So I, I just oh, think I'm sure you'd be an ex- excellent florist as well. I'm sure maybe there's a niche there, a sort of floral, sort of LA dancing, lawyering type career that I, I should have pursued. Anyway, I, I'm, I'm instinctively organised, um, conscientious, I, I have a strong sense of fair play and justice. So I, I, I think, you know, the, my sort of basic qualities meant that I, I was kind of suited to the, the role. And so, and did you do a law degree or did you, did you um, convert? I didn't. I always knew that um, doing a sort of conversion course afterwards was an option. So I, I actually did a geography degree, strangely, wow. um, just because I enjoyed it. It was my favourite subject at school. So I did that. Um, but I knew all along that I wanted to go on. I just figured that I'd rather have three years of messing about at university followed by a bit of hard study than three years studying law. So did a degree, did the CPE conversion course at the College of Law and then finals as they were then and then had my training contract or articles as they were then with a, a small media firm in the West End in London. And how long did you stay there before you decided to go in-house? Not long. I, I qualified in 93, which was during a recession um, so there wasn't really any media work. I'd, I had a long time in their media department. I had two seats in their media department, loved it. But when I qualified, there wasn't really any media work. And not long after qualifying, I was made redundant from the property department. So I, I then made a conscious choice to hold out to get a position back in media law. Um, and I also consciously sought out roles in the house, partly because I'd, I'd really enjoyed the sort of the business aspect more I you know I'd, I wanted to be posted to the coalface of the business um also I was told by one of the partners in my last appraisal there that I probably had too much personality to succeed as a solicitor so <laughs> yeah <laughs> take, take what brilliant. you will from that misogynistic yeah. old dinosaur but at that point I just thought I didn't necessarily want to be you know as we're going back a long way at the time I think you know being in a law firm meant that it was very much providing a service as opposed to sort of quite getting involved in the business so I, I just wanted to get more involved in the business side 
and had you always had a passion for film as well because since then you know you pretty much focused on on uh, the film industry I I had always I mean you know since I was a small kid it was the thing that I did with my dad we we loved film we sort of you know had regular trips to the cinema but also it was kind of linked to his business so I you know I I watched films endlessly at home um also when I was at university which you know it was pretty much all I did with my spare time didn't even put two and two together hadn't quite twigged that I could make a career out of it and right. to be honest ending up with a media firm was it was more by accident than design um you know it hadn't been a conscious choice I just ended up with a law firm that happened to have a, a media department but um no it was a, a very happy accident because as, as you say since then I've I moved in house um in four to BBC Worldwide and since then I've, I've literally only worked in the film industry I've, I've been at Polygram Polygram Film um that was then taken over by Universal Studios so I worked there I've worked at a small indie, I've worked at the UK Film Council, I spent a long time at Channel 4, and now back at BBC. I have been at BBC Films a couple of times, so back there again at the moment. And of all the, the films and projects you've worked on, which ones stand out for you? Um, I think probably 12 Years a Slave. Because it was so exciting being involved in something that you know, when you're there from the very beginning and you sort of work through the whole process and then to see it sort of winning multiple awards it's you know that that's incredibly gratifying so yeah that was the most exciting probably so you've been at the BBC twice can you when you when you went back had it changed much or or were you was it still very much on TV that it had always been I've I've actually been at BBC three times I started at BBC worldwide as it was then which was the commercial arm when they were trying at that point they were sort of converting TV programs and any successful feature-length drama, they were then converting for theatric release after the event, which was a nightmare job because it meant sort of going in and obtaining clearances from the talent after the fact, that sort of thing. And the, the colleague I worked with then kept saying, oh, one of these days they might launch their own film division. And it, it just didn't seem to be happening quickly enough. So, you know, when I got an offer to, to join Polygram, I, I moved there. BBC Films was subsequently launched. I, I moved there in 2003. Three, and I worked there for five years, which was fantastic. Um, but then got another good opportunity, so I, I moved on again. Now that I'm back, it's no, I, I think the BBC is is in a very um, interesting space at the moment. I mean, you know, I, I think especially after coronavirus, it's it's proved to be ever more important to the nation. You know, the public sector nature is absolutely crucial. Um, but it's no secret that we are under threat. You know, the fact that the streamers are, are booming, you know, I, I think most audiences, younger audiences in particular, now expect to consume all of their content online, on demand. So, you know, we, we, we are modernising quickly, um, but, you know, we're, we're still, you know, within the next year or so, I think we've done 100 years. So, you know, it's, it's a very old organisation. Um, and, you know, that, that inevitably brings sort of certain issues. And what role do you think the the BBC film part will, will play in that modernisation? Um, well, I, I joined a few years ago as part of a new team and we were brought in to shake things up a little because I, I think, you know, BBC Films output had always been great, but it was, it was kind of safe. It, it played to a, a particular type of audience. And I, I think the BBC had become aware that it needed to start attracting a younger demographic. So I joined as part of a team that had a bit of a track record, um, 
in terms of attracting younger talent, more diverse talent. So that's what we're doing at the moment. It's it's very much about sort of working with new writers, new directors, and um, we're sort of, I don't want to say R&D, but we're, we're very much, um, you know, working with, with new voices, um, building for the future. I love your title of Head of Legal and Business Affairs. Are you more a lawyer or are you more a business person? Uh, I think the emphasis is much more on business than legal uh my role it involves it involves all sorts of things it you know it's strategic decision making um it's the negotiation of deals but i, I do have a very small team so I, I do still review and draft contracts you know it's, it's not that i don't deal with with legal issues at all at this stage in my career though it's it's much more about identifying legal issues and then knowing how to outsource or delegate or collaborate um, which is easy in an organisation the size of the BBC. You know, I've, I've got many colleagues who are much more experienced in particular areas of law, such as fair dealing. So I think with me, it's it's more about having the experience to sort of recognise a problem and to know what sort of specialised advice I need to get. So when you say outsource, do you outsource within the BBC or do you outsource to firms? Uh, it's pretty much always within the BBC. Um you know, it is it is public sector, so we we don't really have the resource to to outsource to firms. Unfortunately, we do occasionally, but it's 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 quite unusual for that to happen. But you've got all, all the different types of specialisms you need within the BBC. Is that right? But but pretty much, and and if not, you know, the the UK independent film industry is a very small industry in which most of the practitioners know each other pretty well. So. I often tap up my peers for free advice. You know, it's, it's not so much outsourcing. It's just, you know, phoning other lawyers to say, what would you do? Or, you know, I, th- I think we all operate on that basis. It's, it's a very, very small field. So, yeah, it's, it's not so much outsourcing as, as yeah, getting free tips. <laughs> Brilliant. I like that. So you've got a family. You've got two kids. Uh, how have you managed to balance... The, your legal career because I can imagine the film world has its has its late nights just like any other uh, any other legal role how have you managed to balance those uh, those demands on your your legal career yet bring up a family um it, it's an elusive balance um, and <laughs> an ongoing work in progress um you know being a, a working parent is is hard although possibly easier now than it was when I, I first had my kids but I think, you know, whether you're a working mum, dad, whatever, it's it's all about endless compromise. I mean, my first was born in 2000, at which point I had the very first job share scheme within Universal Studios, which at the time employed thousands of people that literally I, I was the first to ever ask for job share. Incredible. Um, we, I know. And incredible how much has changed in, in you know, in, in the meantime, yeah. the fact that in the last 20 years, you know, it's now the norm is is fantastic it's a huge improvement but it, it did mean that for the first sort of um the first few years of my my children's lives I, I sort of ended up with a selection of job share or part-time roles when they were very young which which was good in some ways you know it meant that I got to drop them at school every day and I was home for bedtime but I, I felt that I was missing out at work because it, it wasn't necessarily that interesting and I didn't feel that I was growing enough. Um, so when when my eldest started senior school, I, I geared up again, taking on a much bigger job, at which point the career became much more fulfilling. But then I, I missed out on certain things domestically. I mean, the, the kids were absolutely fine. Um, 
but you know, I, I, I missed out occasionally, you know, not making concerts, parents even, but you know, it's, 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 as I say, endless compromise and the same is true for, for any working parent. So it's, you know, it's ultimately, it's about, ultimately it's about setting boundaries. I think, you know, even now that they're grown, if, if I'm coming home, it's, it's all about engaging fully in whichever sphere you're in. So, you know, for example, no phones at the table, that sort of thing. If I'm with the kids, I'm with the kids. If I'm working, I'm working. So, you know, it's, it's just about sort of no, using great, the time carefully. Yeah. yeah. So was that bravery or necessity that led you to develop that part-time career? Um, bravery, I think, in that, you know, when you have children, you become fierce. And, you know, suddenly your priorities <laughs> shift. And I knew that I, I wanted to spend time with my kids, but nor did I want to compromise, you know, the career and the reputation that I've built up until that point. So, I, you know, I, it, I just happened to be one of the pioneers in that I, I think for the generation of, of women before me it had been much harder for them and they'd had to juggle it all on a man's terms whereas I, I think things were changing at the time that I had kids so I was able to go in and, and make certain demands which surprisingly were met um, I, I don't think I'd have had the courage to sort of make the request that I did prior to having kids but as I say once you have kids you'd be a priority shift so I you know I, I just I happened to ride the wave I, I was in the right place at the right time so um I was also working at a company that was in the middle of a huge takeover and I was the last surviving lawyer everybody else had left so you know they, they were desperate to hang on to me on any terms so I, I was just very lucky I played it well and would you say looking back that you got the balance right then between your family life and the working life yeah, I think so. Um, I, you know, I, I think my career was in the slow lane for a while, but you know, I, I do feel particularly connected to my kids. So, and I, I think you know, since they're, since they've been older and I've, I've been much busier with many more late nights at work, I, I think that's been good for them. I think they've genuinely benefited from, you know, having a mother with outside interests who's who's a role model for girls in particular. I don't, you know, I love the fact that my daughter sees what I do and, and thinks, yeah, that's that's what I can do. It's it's not an issue. Obviously, the UK film industry has been hit hard by the uh, coronavirus pandemic. What do you think the medium and long term future for it's going to be? Uh, it's rather worrying. It, it's been hit very dramatically. I mean, all production work has ceased and thousands have been furloughed or made redundant. I mean, it's an industry that's comprised primarily of freelancers. Um, so we've had to work incredibly quickly to, to try and deal with recovery. We've, we've been busy introducing new sort of health and safety protocols. Um, we're still facing issues such as insurance. We're, we're lobbying for enhanced tax credit while the industry gets back on its feet. Um, it, it's too simple how things will pan out long term. I, I think we've got challenging times ahead. I, I think the UK film industry is, is sort of distinct from the... There's independent film and there are studio films. I think the studio films are in a healthier position because, you know, they're a bigger budget. They're funded by studios. So, you know, even though they're shooting in the UK, they're often funded by studios. So they're likely to be able to soak up the costs that have arisen as a result of health and safety protocols in a way that UK independent film might struggle a little. Um, you know, we're, we're facing huge additional costs as a result of coronavirus. So it's it's yeah, it's challenging. And is that hitting your workload as well? Yes, yeah, very much so. I've, I've been sort of very heavily involved in um, various industry tasks, for, task forces and working groups sort of looking at how to address things. Um, and then, you know, the day job, the bread and butter stuff is, 
He's very busy as well. I think there's currently a lot of emphasis on development, which is, you know, script writing, that sort of thing, the stuff that can be done at a, a safe social distance. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's been an incredibly busy three months. You know, it's been a very steep learning curve as well, the fact that I've had to get up to speed with stuff like, you know, furloughing and the sort of stuff that normally I, I wouldn't have had to deal with. Has coaching played any part in your career, Geraldine? Uh, yes, very much so. Uh, not so much at the moment. Um, not for want of opportunity within the BBC. They, they, you know, there's a strong coaching culture there. But I'm, I'm very lucky in that at the moment I've, I've got a great gig. Um, it's constantly evolving. It's never boring. I've, I've got very supportive colleagues. So at the, at the moment, I'm, I'm not actually looking for answers. But in the past, I've, I've, yeah, I've used career coaches, um, often provided by my employer. I don't, you know, for example, when I was at Channel Four. I faced a few challenging management situations, um, but Channel 4 was fantastic in terms of offering independent career coaches who, who really um, challenged my perspectives and methods and made me approach things in a different way. Um, I also approached a, a senior colleague at Channel 4 whom I admired greatly um, to ask if she'd be happy to mentor me. She worked in a very different part of the business. Um, but I'd, I'd sort of learned a bit about mentoring and, and just approached this woman because I thought she was rather fabulous. I think it helps, you know, whether it's a mentor or a coach, having an objective bystander's viewpoint is um, is incredibly helpful. Especially, you know, the, the sort of higher up the ladder you climb, it's, you know, it's one thing when you're sort of hanging out with lots of junior lawyers and you can compare notes, but, you know, it's kind of isolated, you know, the sort of the further up the ladder you climb. So it's it's essential to get third-party opinions on occasion. Geraldine, it's been absolutely fascinating talking to you. Thank you very much for sharing your perspectives on, on the BBC today and, and your career. It's been brilliant. Thank you ever so, so much for your time. Really appreciated. My pleasure. Nice talking to you. So that was Geraldine Attlee, Head of Legal and Business Affairs at BBC Films, talking to Oliver. And Oliver is with me now. Oliver, really fascinating to hear Geraldine's journey. And one of the things that really struck me from, from her interview with you was that, you know, the idea of that no individual can do it all on their own. I think that was really well observed, Claire. It's almost as if the collaborative process that she's experienced to create and produce films, she brings to the way she operates as a lawyer be that getting the deal done or seeking out help within her organisation on particular points, or even, and I love that notion of, of just going outside into the, the broader film community to try and get solutions to any challenges she might come up against. And I think, you know, I'm sure you've had similar conversations with, with your coaches, that notion of, you know, not doing it all on your own is one I think that lots of people you know often fall foul of that they you know they feel like you know particularly when they've reached a certain point in their career um that you know it's perhaps a sign of weakness to reach out and ask people for help or perhaps to you know to to have a network and and to to tap into that but you know i thought it was a really important message just to say actually no you know sometimes i don't know everything and sometimes i do need to go out and ask other people and that's okay and that's that makes me stronger and it makes me human I think that's true and it was also good to see that thought process applied when she used coaching how she was facing some some specific problems in the workplace and used that external sounding board to try and explore new ways 
to solve the things that she was uh, confronted by. And really fascinating also to hear her journey. I'm, you know, a mum of four. So my reflection on, you know, just how, how much things have, have changed over the years and, um, you know, it'd be interesting to see what happens in another 20 years when, you know, my children, well, in fact, hopefully they're not having children in 20 years, but, you know, when my children have, have children, um, you know, what that will look like. And it was that comment which motherhood made me fierce. And it's such a shame that she had to become fierce in order to succeed and have a career and be a mother at the same time. And that left me reflecting as to whether I've become more fierce since I was, um, you know, first became a mum. And I think, you know, one of the things that I have become more protective over certainly is how I spend my time. Um, I've always worked full time. I went back to work, you know, with all four of them when the, the children were very young. So I only had three months maternity leave for the first two. And then with my twins, um, you know, I did shared parental leave with my with my other half and and also took a very small amount of time off um but I think you do become more aware when you're working that you know you could be somewhere else and you could be uh, with your children so I think it makes you much more disciplined or certainly it's made me much more disciplined when I am working um and you know perhaps that you know does sometimes come out a bit as being fierce too because you want to be efficient and you want to get things done and I think uh, you know, true, true. I suspect of, of of all parents, and you know, links back to that. You know, original reflection of you can't do it all on your own. And I think oftentimes, what you see is, you know, you see the person who's juggling a family. You see the person who's, you know, doing very well at work. What you don't see is that network that sits behind. So you know, you don't see. Um, you know my parents who help out with the kids you don't see um, the childminder that I have um, on, on the odd day um, you don't see the people that you you tap into um, in the work environment so I think it's really important that people remember that you know no one can do it on their own and actually it's you know having that really strong network is really important. I also thought Geraldine had a great coaching tip which was to be in the room wherever you are be in the room as a parent and be in the room as a worker and really focus on what the job in hand is. And I think that's a really great lesson for any worker. Make sure you're, you're getting the best out of whatever it is you're doing at that particular point in time. Oliver, thank you so much for your time and for, for the interview, which was really interesting. No problem. I really, really enjoyed it. And thank you all for listening. We hope that you'll join us for the next episode of Lawyer's Coach. Lawyers Coach is brought to you by Client Talk and Hansard Coaching. If you're enjoying this series, please rate us on your podcast provider so that others can find us. If you're a lawyer and would like to take part in Lawyers Coach, please visit our website, lawyercoach.co.uk, for further details. And you can also join the conversation on our LinkedIn group, Lawyers Coach. If there are any topics you'd like to hear us discuss, then just get in touch.